Welcome to a very special episode of Just Keep Rolling, where it's just me, Ellen, but I'm joined by a very special guest host, Melissa. Hi. Welcome, Melissa. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for including me. So I am one of the co-hosts of the podcast that must not be named, a chapter-by-chapter, mostly spoiler-free reread of the entire Harry Potter series with my brother, Luke. But I'm not just here as a fellow Harry Potter podcaster. I am also here because I am a teacher in my real life outside of podcast world. I call it my undercover muggle job. Yeah, right? I I have multiple shirts that say Hogwarts wasn't hiring, so I teach muggles instead. Right. I have several of those. So my day job is I am an instructional coach for several kindergarten through fifth grade elementary buildings. I work with core content, math, science, social studies, and ELA. I also was a classroom teacher for 12 years, and I have taught first grade and second grade and third grade and fourth grade and fifth grade. So basically all of the elementary grades. Everything except kindergarten because the herding cats is scary. Kindergarten is definitely herding cats. Pre-K <laughs> is actually worse. Yes. I taught pre-K in when I was in college. Yes. Yeah. Oh. I teach art at two different schools. Both of them are pre-K through eighth grade. Ooh. So I get to herd cats and deal with sass. It just depends on the hour of the day, sometimes back to back. <laughs> but so Melissa had this idea. We were all, a whole bunch of us were going to be going to Harry Potter World and the Leaky Con because it was all in Orlando. It was supposed to be actually the weekend, this weekend. And thanks pandemic, we had to <laughs> postpone it to next summer. But Melissa had this idea to do a panel on education in Harry Potter. And since we have to postpone it, we were thinking, hey, let's just do an episode about it. So here we are. Excellent. I'm very excited. And hopefully we get to do the panel next summer because they postponed it to June. I, I already have my house booked for that trip. So I am ready to go. Sign me up. I'm waiting until I know for sure it's happening to book. Yeah. So my idea here is... I feel like we can take our real life jobs and our podcast jobs and discuss all of our expertise with our highly qualified teacher skills and apply them to what it looks like in Hogwarts. Because I have some concerns and, and some areas of questions about who and what and how they're teaching things, right? I'm an instructional coach, so my job is like really making sure it's high quality education with good skills. and. The more I read the books, the more I really focus on the teaching. Right. Which is not always like the best for the plot as I'm talking through my show. I started reading the books before I became a teacher. But at, now that I'm a teacher and I read the books again, it, it's funny the characters that you start to emulate because it went from being like, I wanted to be Hermione to I want to be McGonagall. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> but what we're going to do tonight or today, what we're going to do is go through the seven core subjects and just talk about the subjects a little bit and whatever pops into our head as educators when looking at what we've learned from these subjects throughout the book. So the very first subject on our list is transfiguration, which teaches the art of changing the form and appearance of an object or a person. And it was taught by Professor Minerva McGonagall, and like I said, teacher goals. Oh, right. I feel like 
if I could every year when my new teachers come into my district, just have them study her classroom management style because she commands a room without disrespecting the children. Right. She doesn't raise her voice. She doesn't say anything mean. Like she's so caring, but still so strict. You know what her expectations are and the kids don't want to cross her. And they want to do well for her. So when you see teachers like that in the real world, other teachers look at them and they say, I can't get my kids to do that. How do you do that? And those kinds of teachers don't have an answer. It's a gift. Because I can teach you what words to say to get a kid to do their homework. I can teach you what to teach. I cannot teach you presence. Right. I cannot teach you how to command a room. It's a gift. And, And she has that in spades. Not to mention on top of all of that, she's unbelievably capable. Right. And sticks up for what's right in such a matter-of-fact way. There are so few times that her emotions get in the way of her making the right choice. Right. Unless it comes to Quidditch. Unless, Which is fine. Which, I I mean, I think she was totally justified to yell at the Slytherin team for cheating, but I'm a Gryffindor, so. Yes. (laughs) I I'm a Ravenclaw, so I have no dog in this fight, but it's okay. <laughs> I've been reading book five in particular for my show, and the way she responds to Umbridge whenever there's an interaction, yes, there's some emotion behind it, but she always uses logic and reason as her weapons, McGonagall does. With a healthy dose of sass. Very healthy dose. But <laughs> do you need a cough drop, Dolores? <laughs> Of course I noticed you. Otherwise, I would have asked you what you were doing in my classroom. And I wonder how you expect to see how I teach. You see, I don't normally let people interrupt me. (laughs) I love her. She's amazing. But never was she out of line. No. She's just very firm. These are my expectations. You're in my classroom. You're going to do it too. Mm -hmm. Bam. Because this is what I'm doing. This is what we're doing today. And then that's what we're going to do. And we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. So do that. Yeah. I'm a big fan of McGonagall. I love her. The next class we come to is charms, which is the study of mastering charm work. The spells are learned from textbooks. Students are taught very specific wand movements and proper pronunciation. Swish and flick. <laughs> it's leviosa, not leviosa. They often partner up in class to experiment on one another, and it's taught by Professor Phileas Flitwick. Who is also an amazing teacher. Yes, in a very different way. A very different way. Personable. There's you can see the relationship building with him, and he just trusts the kids, right? I don't know. If I taught magic, Mm -hmm. I don't know that I'd be like, here, partner up, practice charms on each other. I don't know that I would trust the kids to do that. I will say, so my last few years of being a classroom teacher, I was, and it's a very interesting role, I was exclusively a math teacher for fourth and fifth grade students. I didn't teach any other subjects. So that's kind of different than most elementary schools. Right. That's definitely more specialized. I tend to be kind of a math nerd. So Most elementary teachers are like big reading teachers and they really like reading. And I was like, let's play with math. Nobody understood me. It was fine. But we would- (laughs) That's the Ravenclaw. Right. They would show up and we would be studying prime and composite numbers 
but the only things they would have would be square blocks. And they, I would just say, okay, go. There's 12 square blocks. See how many rectangles you can make, how many different kinds of rectangles you can make with 12. And it was that experimenting and figuring it out thing that nobody expects in a math class. That's how right. Flitwick, right? It's, this is how you do it. Go try it. You're going to screw up. Try it. Right. Keep trying it, right? You're, you can't make the toad be quiet. Cool. What else are you going to do about it? It's very much a trial and error and fail. And oh, what, what's the scene from the Disney Meet the Robinsons movie where the little kids experiment doesn't work and everybody sings a big song about how you failed and you should keep <laughs> forward. And that was the best failure. And I haven't actually seen that, but now I'm going to have to make sure I do. It's a really cute underrated one. I like that one a lot. So, All right. I'll put it on my list. Do. It, it's just the idea that you got it wrong. Cool. What's next? That's actually something that I always try to teach in my art class because kids, they get really frustrated, especially the, when they get older. Like third grade and up is when that really starts to happen. They become more self-aware. So they'll draw something and it won't look like what they wanted to draw and they want to just crumble up the paper and start over. So I really mm -hmm. try to, like when I'm doing demonstrations, sometimes I will deliberately mess up just so I can show them a way to fix it. And just so I can show them like it happens, people mess up and you learn more figuring out. And I was like, you get to be more of an artist figuring out how to fix it. You get to be more creative. Right. And it's the idea that if you're not doing it exactly like somebody else or exactly the way, that's okay because it's personal. Right. It has to work for you. And it's not like, I mean, in a lot of ways, I will compare art to math, especially you're talking about making yes. rectangles out of squares. Like yes. they, they go hand in hand so much more than people ever realize. Oh, yeah. But there are people that just get math. Mm -hmm. You don't have to teach it to them. They just get it. And there are people that can just draw. You don't have to teach it to them. They're just talented. Mm -hmm. And I've been working really hard throughout my 10 years of teaching to get people to understand that art is not a talent, it is a skill. And some people might have that talent just like they may have that math talent, but it's a skill. You can learn it. It takes practice. It takes exercises. I... And I feel like Flitwick is somebody who really understood that. Yes. So Carol Dweck wrote the book, The Growth Mindset. Oh, yeah. And I know that one. <laughs> yes. And there's an author. She's a professor of mathematics at Stanford. Her name is Joe Bowler. And she took that and applied it to math because just like you said, people think they either can or can't do art. That's absolutely what people think about math. I can do math or I can't do math, right? There is no math gene. There, no. Is, there is no DNA makeup that says you're going to be good with numbers. Basically, if you're a good memorizer, that's what people thought. Right. You're good at math because you can memorize an algorithm. No, that's, that's not being good at math. It's a problem solving thing but that's not how we've taught it for years and years. And you say math and art go really well together. I worked so closely with my art teacher for so many years just for that reason. I love that. Yes. So to me, Professor Flitwick embodies the kind of teacher I became as I learned more about growth mindset and about failure and about learning from that. And literally your brain grows every time you make a mistake, even when you don't know you're making a mistake but doesn't do anything when you get a question right. Yeah, that's a really good point. Right, and I think Flitwick's class demonstrates that. Think about what happened when Harry finally figured out the summoning term. 
right? That guy is never going to forget how to do a summoning charm. But if he had just memorized it for a test, it would not have mattered. No, like you said, threaten him with a dragon. Yeah, see, whatever it takes. <laughs> <laughs> the next class on our list is potions, which teaches the correct way to brew potions. And students follow specific recipes and use various magical ingredients to create the potions, starting with simple ones and moving to more advanced ones as they progress in knowledge. It was taught by Professor Severus Snape until Harry's sixth year at Hogwarts when Professor Dumbledore got Professor Horace Lughorn out of retirement to return to teaching potions. So... We're going to end up talking more about Snape, I think, when we get down to Defense Against the Dark Arts a little bit more. But I do want to say Snape is an excellent example of a very capable teacher who does not have the personality to teach. So I see that a lot as I equate him to the college professor who is a master of chemistry or something, right? He's been brought in to the college because he is a master of chemistry and knows the subject really well. You find that sometimes on a high school level too, because in order to teach, even middle school and high school, you have to be certified in the subject. You have to be an expert in your subject. It's also really hard to teach older kids. Mm -hmm. When I taught high school my very first year, had I not had the level of ability that I do, because I I went to college for fine arts and mm -hmm. I studied fine arts and then I went back and got my master's and became a teacher. So by the time I taught high school, I was already 27 years old and I had a lot more experience and a lot more confidence built up so that when I'm being challenged by kids that are like nine, 10 years younger than me that have a lot of talent as well, I'm still somebody that they can look up to. Right. So if you don't have that... High schoolers don't want to listen or respect you. No. And he has that level of knowledge. He is an expert in his field. Absolutely. That man is so unbelievably intelligent and capable. Yes. I think the missing piece is what I want that chemistry professor in college or some of those teachers in high school who are masters to do. I want them to come teach first grade for three hours. <laughs> just... See what it's like to manage five and six-year-olds doing multiple subjects, getting those kids to buy into listening to you. Because elementary teachers are not experts in their subject. They might be really good at teaching reading, but in general, we're the jack-of-all-trades kinds of yeah, teachers, right? you have to be. I, I can manage my reading groups, and I can manage my math lesson, and I can manage my science experiment, and I can manage bathroom breaks, and I can manage all of the tier two interventions, and I can do lunch break, and I'm going to call this kid's mom because his shoes are on backwards, and I'm going to – I can do it all. And on top of that, therapy and – Right. And it's Right, and I can tie shoes. Nurse. And I can, and I can give hugs, although not anymore, but still, If right? a kid hugs me first, I will hug them back because I teach in an inner city school. And if a kid wants to hug me, I am not going to deprive them of that love. Same. My school is high risk as well. And it's, yeah. you can't not, but at the same time, like, well, not we're going back to. virtual to start. So same here. Yeah. We'll see. Thank goodness. Cause I was really, my dad is high risk mm -hmm. and I don't live anywhere near him. I'm about three and a half oh. hours away, but he was supposed to come visit me last weekend to help me get started. We're putting in a recording studio in my right. basement 
and he was supposed to come help me get this started and he had we had to cancel his trip because I live in Cleveland and it was starting to get bad up here again and yep. then there was a positive case at my husband's work and we weren't sure if he came in contact with it right. and it was just I can't risk this so right. if we went back to school I wouldn't be allowed to go see my dad like I just wouldn't be allowed to and I think that's the piece that Snape is missing. Yes. He doesn't understand that it matters how you treat the kids. It matters that there might be a kid having a bad day and it's not about you. And maybe he's like that for the Slytherins. They tend to like him. Well, we don't get a lot. Like the majority of what we get from Snape is through Harry's perspective. So I think that's automatically going to make yes. it. But it's not all too. Harry. No, it's definitely to Neville and Hermione. Mm -hmm. But those are the only ones we really see. But I think Snape just in general does not suffer fools well. And as a teacher, you just you got to know how to suffer fools. There's a bunch of them. Yeah, because they're kids. And they like take turns of when they're going to be fools and when they're not. So even if your big fool is out sick for the day, somebody steps up. Oh, yeah, always. There's, there's always somebody to fill the space. And you also, you have a kid that can be awesome 98% of the time. And then that 2% of the time, they're just like, I didn't get enough sleep last night or I had too much candy and I'm just going to be like, what yeah. today? And, and I feel like I have to tell every adult in my life this. It's not about you. When the kids are acting up, when they're doing this, it has nothing to do with you as the adult in the room in front of them. You have no idea why they're acting like this. 90% mm -hmm. of the time, it has nothing to do with you unless you're like Snape. Right. Unless you've treated them like Snape. Does. Right. And I mean, and if you choose to make it about you, that's when it becomes a problem. Right. So I had one other thought about potions before we kind of move on. The part where they follow specific recipes. Really? So I'm going to throw this in a way different side of education. Mm -hmm. This really reminds me of PE class. Okay. I promise I have, I have a thought on this. So I was in a conversation yesterday where it was kids who are learning to play baseball, right? You put your head down or you swing through. You're teaching them the fundamentals of how to play the game. But the kid can go and watch a professional baseball game on TV and say, well, he didn't do this or he didn't hold the bat that way or he didn't put his head down. And I think that's potions. I have to teach you the fundamentals so that you can then go later after years of doing this, put your own spin on it to get good at it. And I hope, because we don't really get to see a seventh year, I would hope that seventh year would be great. What can you right. do with? Because there's not a lot of creation in that. There's a lot of step following. Which I think is important. Right. And I also think it's really interesting to note that the difference between Snape's teaching and Slughorn's teaching, because we didn't really talk yeah. about Slughorn. I mean, he's all right. He seemed like a perfectly fine teacher. He strikes me as the person who becomes a teacher because they think it's going to be easy, is what he strikes me at, if I'm being honest. Yeah. And yeah. he likes to collect people. He would pick his favorite students and he mm -hmm. just like focus on them and he'd get by. And I feel like that's what Slughorn did. But he strictly taught out of the books. Right. And Snape always wrote the recipes on the board. Mm -hmm. And so I am like, 
98.9% positive that Snape would write his doctored up recipes oh, on the board. I never thought of So that they would make the potions correctly. But he was never teaching them why it was different. He just wrote up the instructions and had them follow it. Okay, see, now I'm writing a lesson plan in my head. And it's, here's the instructions from the book. Here are my modified instructions. Mm-hmm. With your partner, make both and then decide which way is better and right? be able to explain why. To me, that's a much better homework essay. And Snape clearly did not follow the I do, we do, you do. No. He did not do that. No. McGonagall did. Yes. Flitwick did. Honestly, in his class, I don't know if I would do that because it's almost an experiment, right? I'm not going to show you the experiment. I want you to figure it out for yourself. It is a little bit more like a science chemistry class. But like even in art class, I will show them how to do certain things. Like there might be a specific way that you need to add things. And I, so I will demonstrate the start of it. Like when it comes to mixing or painting with watercolors, I have this whole thing right. where I make the little kids say dip, touch, swirl with me. So they understand you have to dip it in the water. We touch it to yeah. the side because I don't like it when they tap. It splashes. They speckle water or paint everywhere. So it's mm. dip, touch, swirl. And that helps them get the correct motion. I don't show them how to paint. I want them to experiment with that more. But they get, that's, that is our, in art class, that is the I do portion. I don't yes. show them beginning to end. There is definitely things that Snape should be showing them to truly be an effective teacher. Like maybe how to cut up their shriveled, whatever they're called. Right. Right. That, that Draco couldn't do because his arm was so sore. Right. Maybe that should be tempting. Or you start and 30 minutes in, I stop and I say hey, yours should look like this right now because I'm making it along with you. Yeah. If it's, let's figure it out. His feedback is non-existent. No. So you don't learn from that. Yeah. No, right. they, they aren't learning anything in that class. They're just regurgitating. Yep. Learning how to follow directions. Mm -hmm. All right. So the next class is history of magic. Uh, it's similar to the study of history in the muggle world. Um, a particular emphasis is placed upon remembering dates, names, and events. This is taught by Professor Cuthbert Binns, who happens to also be the only ghost professor. I wonder if he gets evaluated. Like when Umbridge was there, did she go in and evaluate Professor Binns? Oh, did I the don't think they ever focused on that. It's possible she did. No, because the twins said oh he was a she was in there observing Flitwick yeah I don't, I don't think they showed us that they should right I feel like he'd have no idea what was going on none he doesn't even notice when the students are there why would I he was, when I mean he's like a classic example of the teacher who desperately needs to retire it's almost the parody of the yeah I mean it I, not even almost not. I think that's exactly what that is he literally, he literally died and kept on teaching. And how he mixes up everyone's, like, he just makes up new names for them. <laughs> yes. In my head, he's carrying a giant mug of coffee all the time. Like his little ghost mug of coffee. Because yeah. in my head, teachers like that, the lecturers, right? Mm -hmm. the, he could be lecturing to one student. He could be lecturing to a hall of a thousand. He's going to sit there with his mug of coffee talking like this drink mm -hmm. 
I'm going to keep talking with my mug of coffee about the Goblin Wars and the Troll Uprisings. Yes, Miss Pennyfeather. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, I, there's a line that Harry has that I like so much, and it's, Harry was dimly aware that in the hands of a more capable teacher, this subject might actually be interesting. Right. But I always felt very similar to regular history classes where if it's not taught by somebody who can make it interesting, it can just drone on. And then it's just all of these dates you have to remember. And I remember taking art history classes and when we'd have to memorize the the title and the artist and the date of when the painting was made or the sculpture or whatever, oh. I'd literally play games where I would like pretend a certain number of sunflowers existed in van gogh's painting and that would be those that number would be the date and i but like i'd had to do really crazy things just to make myself remember it so god if i had a ghost professor i'd probably just die myself like i'd fall asleep in class and never wake back up i i think ron put it best where he's like hermione we try we try to pay attention you're the only one who can and if it weren't for you we'd all fail because it's really bad yeah and I don't think he was any better alive. Probably not, no. Right. But he was, I mean, if he was old enough to die, he, like, maybe That's he was true. really good when he was younger. The teacher who, like, started off with, like, all, all of that pluck. 35 years later is right. still teaching. and No, I think you're totally right that he's a parody of that. The next class is Astronomy which is the branch of magic and science that studies stars and the movement of planets. It's a subject where the use of practical magic and spells during lessons is not necessary. And it was taught by Professor Aurora Sinistra, who we never really actually saw in the books. We only heard her by name, Professor Sinistra. I believe that Harry misunderstood her and thought she said Europa was covered in mice when it was supposed to be ice. Yes. And that was like the only time we ever heard her name. And the class was mentioned during exam time. But beyond that, we don't really know that much about astronomy. So I will tell you that particular class has been a running gag on my podcast for a very long time. Because in book one, she's never mentioned by name. It's just, and astronomy was held on Wednesday nights at midnight in the tower. Never mentioned by name. In the next three books, book two, book three, and book four, They never go to astronomy class, ever. But occasionally you hear about Professor Sinistra of the astronomy department. Mm -hmm. Not the astronomy professor, but Professor Sinistra of the astronomy department, which to me says there might be other teachers. Maybe, I don't really know, but it's been very weird how she was mentioned. Yeah. It wasn't until book five when they said, oh, we did that in astronomy with Professor Sinistra, that it was confirmed that, one, they were still taking astronomy in fifth Right. And two, they were learning actually from Professor Sinistra in the class itself. Like, I've been searching for that information throughout these books. Yeah, they obviously didn't find it to be that important to the story. It doesn't sound like it would have been that exciting of a class to witness. Why do you need five years of studying the planets? I don't. I That's don't a really good point. Why it's important. Why is it I, a core one? I, I don't know. Like I could see maybe taking it almost like a pre-rec year one and year two. 
for divination. You have divination, right? Because you have this contract. That totally kind of goes hand in hand. Maybe they take it in year one and it comes back into year five as a, okay, now you're going to have an exam on it and it's added back in that year. I don't really know. But to me, that class, that falls under my big giant, I don't understand the class schedule and how it works, but we can talk about that a little bit. (laughs) That's a, that's a whole other, what a horse of a different color. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Okay. So the next core class that we come to is herbology. The Study of Magical and Mundane Plants and Fungi, making it the wizarding world equivalent to botany. Students learn to care for and utilize plants and learn about their magical properties and what they are used for. Many plants provide ingredients for potions and medicine, while others have magical effects of their own right. It was taught by Professor Pomona Sprout. I love her. Yes. Now, she is also an almost retired teacher, but she's like the grandmotherly retired, almost retired teacher that like everybody loves because she's right. And and she'll learn the new things if she needs to try the new things and she'll, she'll do whatever because she's just warm and bubbly and well, she's still hip. Yeah. She still has that pep and she still has the desire to learn and teach. Mm -hmm. I think my, my oldest daughter was a freshman last year and she had a history teacher who was like that. She like was kind of you know older and was ready to retire and she did retire, but had just enough wherewithal and with itness to be able to connect with these, you know, loser 14 and 15 year old <laughs> who have no idea what's going on and make like the Civil War and World War II exciting because she was just with it enough to be able to call them out on their stuff without it being like, oh, you're in trouble. Like, OK, I get it. You're a freshman. It's okay. Right. I got you. You're going to be fine. I'm going to go drink. (laughs) No, I totally feel like that's Pomona. For sure, it's the actress who played her. Miriam Margolis? Yeah, Miriam Margolis. She is hilarious. And she is just like the, the sassy grandma figure. There's an interview with her and Daniel Radcliffe on, I forget what show it was. But she literally made a joke to him about how, like, she was much nicer. There was a swear jar on set for her, but he doesn't remember her ever swearing. And she was like, oh, well, around you, I was always much better behaved. And she made this joke about how his balls hadn't dropped yet. And just, like, oh, my gosh, it was so funny. So I just feel like she embodies Pomona Sprout, except that Pomona Sprout has, like, her teacher persona that hides that side, you know? Yeah. Which, let's be honest, a lot of us have, right? Yes. I go from being a teacher that interacts with little kids to having a podcast that has an explicit warning. (laughs) Yeah, it's, um, there's the things your kids don't need to hear. Right. All right. Our last course subject is Defense Against the Dark Arts. We saved this one for last because we have the most to say about it, I think. This one teaches students how to defend themselves against all aspects of the dark arts, including dark creatures, curses, hexes, jinxes, as well as dueling. The position was rumored to be jinxed, and no teacher could remain in it for more than a year. Throughout the series, there were seven different Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers. So, Harry's first year, we had Queerness Quirrell, who maybe he was a good teacher, 
maybe he was, but like being possessed by Voldemort, he had to play such a role to like hide that side of him that I feel like he stopped being a teacher too. So I choose to believe because I think if I read in between the lines, he was a teacher went out for a year on a sabbatical and came back, which is how, like... Yeah, he was the muggle study teacher, did his sabbatical where he ran into Voldemort. Right. Actually, one of our patrons has this whole theory about how Quirrell was once in the Order of the Phoenix, and it was Dumbledore who sent him to Albania because he suspected that Voldemort was there, and that was when he got possessed, and he came back and, of course, lied, saying he didn't find him. Wow. But then suspiciously asked for the Defense Against the Dark Arts job because that's the one that Voldemort always wanted. Right. So I, I, I feel like it's just a fun little theory. But, yeah, I think that he was just so busy trying to pretend like he was still meek Professor Quirrell and, you know, trying to find the Sorcerer's Stone that I think he stopped actually teaching. Except we never hear about him being a bad teacher. So I like I tend to believe maybe he was like an okay teacher who just made really poor life choices. Yeah. Well, Umbridge did say that of all of the Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers, like he was one of the ones that actually followed a curriculum. And then Harry was just like, unfortunately, he just had that slight problem of Voldemort coming out of the back of his head. <laughs> like, I, I mean, it's not a small problem. No, it's but not. Technically, he probably was teaching the right stuff. Yeah. The, so there's Queer and his Quirrell. The next one is Gildoroy Lockhart, oh, who in our podcast, we call him the appendix. He is the appendix of the wizarding world because he is completely useless. We call him Smarmy Lukehart <laughs> because my co-host's name is Luke. And so he actually started a Twitter handle called Smarmy Lukehart, where his little pop Funko Lockhart goes around to different places and does things. And he always talks like this because he's smarmy and just... Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. We make a point of referencing Lockhart in every single book, even if he's not brought up. It's a good episode in our show if we've somehow tied it back into Lockhart. <laughs> he is a huge running theory in, in our show. No, he is the classic example of desperate for a teacher. Like, that's what you yeah. end up with when you have somebody that does Teach for America and have <laughs> no idea what they're getting into. That's what or you get. Or, hi, school starts on the 24th. It's the 20th. You're hired. Right. You're right. In. Great. I mean, and I've known some amazing Teach for America teachers. That's not a slight against them. It's right. the, it's, I specifically mean the ones who think that teaching is easy. And they're in it because they think they can just come and hang out with kids. Right. Because, oh, I love kids. Or, right. oh, I was a camp counselor. And so this will be easy. And no. Lockhart also has no idea how to write a curriculum. No. And how about the fact no. that he made the kids buy his entire set of books? Lockhart is the reason we are doing this show. I'm not even kidding. Lockhart is the reason that I've started all of my rants <laughs> other than the scheduling. Because who tells you what you should learn? Who determines that? Because where I work, it's the state. We have a set of standards that the state says in first grade, you're going to learn this. And in ninth grade, you're going to learn that. Where does that exist for Hogwarts? I get the impression that the ministry has a little bit of involvement in it because they seem to be the ones that coordinate the testing. Right. So where at Hogwarts is the oversight for that? Because 
Exactly. How do I know? Because let's say I'm Mrs. Weasley and I have seven children. What Bill learned in his second year should be what Charlie learned in his second year should be with the twins and Percy and Ro- second year should be consistent. The variation becomes when yes. I have electives, but, and not saying that it's going to be taught exactly the same, but if every second year student is supposed to learn Expelliarmus, that every second year student should learn that. And how do I ensure that? Yeah. And the, the things that Harry learned from Defense Against the Dark Arts that year weren't even in class. No. They were from the dueling club. Yes. And, and from Snape at that. <laughs> right. I really am concerned, mostly because my job is to go in and ensure that people are teaching what they're supposed to be teaching, not like in a bad way, but like, right. Why are you still on unit one and it's January? That's a problem. Let's talk about why we're behind in this content right like and this is why you teach this in third grade and not fifth grade or first grade I provide vertical view there's nobody doing that at Hogwarts and that becomes really evident with Gilderoy Lockhart right well I have to wonder if to a certain extent that's not Dumbledore's role because none of the other teachers really seem to be struggling with that But the inconsistency Mm -hmm. of Defense Against the Dark Arts really seems to play a big role in that. And if Dumbledore got stuck hiring such an appendix, he probably was just hoping that nobody died that year. It's better than nobody at all, (laughs) unless you're Bins. Right. And now we're going to get to my favorite teacher of all time, which is Remus Lupin. Not, I mean, not favorite teacher of all time, but definitely favorite Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. I will agree with that. I still think McGonagall is better. Right. Um, for, McGonagall is better in terms of longevity and and commanding the room and making sure her students progress. Lupin is the best at relationships and at being able to read the students quickly. Yes. He knows how to read a room. He knows how to engage Mm-hmm. McGonagall can command. Lupin could engage. Yes. Even to the point of making Neville face some fears and not right. putting him like putting him on the spot in such a safe way. I think he did almost as much for Neville in that moment as he did for Harry throughout the course of that year, which right. led Neville down a path. I think without that moment from Lockhart, like ne- that was his moment of like, oh, I might be able to because from then on, Neville starts to make little growths and and standing up and, you know, saying things here and there that are a little more strong than just, oh, Neville. Yeah, that was one of the first things that really started to get him out of his shell was having a teacher believe in him. Mm -hmm. And that's what Lupin really did. Lupin believed in his students. We were saying Flitwick trusted his. Lupin believed in his. Yes. Seriously, such good case study for like excellent teachers yeah between McGonagall Flitwick and Lupin and then we have Alistair Mad-Eye Moody who was actually Barty Crouch Jr. in disguise the whole time and strangely enough also a really good teacher yeah right like first of all we call him fake Moody in our podcast we haven't gotten that far yet we haven't made up a name for him yet we had to because eventually real booty comes right. in. So it's, we talked about this on our show a lot. It's really hard to remember that that wasn't just moody because 
he so embodied how we see Moody later on right. in, the, in the late books. There's not really a difference of character. And it's hard to remember that that wasn't our guy. That was the bad yeah. guy. Because I really like Moody as a teacher. Yeah. I mean, he took risks. Oh, yeah. Which He's a... Sometimes you have to. Sometimes you have to just do the thing that you really aren't supposed to do and apologize later if something bad comes up of it. Right. But like I did that one year. I threw out the entire math curriculum and said, I'm not teaching it this way throughout the book and made my own order of everything and said, I'm teaching it like this and told everybody like three months later when I was just doing it. Yeah. Because I knew that that's what my kids needed, exactly. right? It, it's those teachers, the, the innovator teachers, where it's, you're not really supposed to know this, but we're going to try. Yeah. And then on top of that, he gave Neville another moment. Hmm? And I know he was doing it to manipulate him so that he would help Harry out, which didn't work out, right. but he was setting something else up. But it's still, for Neville to have another teacher call him out right. for being good at something and being capable. And he did it kindly. Yeah. Like he played it really well to the point that it actually had a positive benefit. Which So I have to wonder what Barty Crouch could have been had he not gone down the wrong path. I was just thinking that. It makes me sad because he would have been great. Yeah, he could have been an amazing teacher. Mm -hmm. And you and I talked about this, I think, before we even started recording, that a lot of teaching is, is being on stage and being like, we both have theater backgrounds. And so a lot of it is just putting on an act and I'm going to play this role with this group. And and that's all he was doing. But Yeah, he was playing the role of... Mad-Eye Moody, the teacher, right. and excelled at it. If he could just play the role of Crouch, the teacher, he'd have been right. great. Yeah. And maybe it wouldn't have gotten in so much trouble. Yeah, maybe. So here is the world's most hated everything in oh, the yeah. Wizarding World, mm. Dolores Umbridge. Yeah, she was a terrible teacher. She was an awful teacher. Like, I have a long rant about government oversight of education i don't actually believe government should be that involved in education i think it should be even less involved than what it is right now i think if they're going to insist on their involvement we don't need some shit like betty devos in no. the role i think that that secretary of education should be filled by somebody who taught for 25 years was a principal for 10 years and a superintendent for at least another five Right. Then they can put the old person in the Secretary of Education role, somebody who actually knows what the fuck they're talking about. I know I said I wasn't really going to swear this episode, but nope. this pisses me off. <laughs> First of all, have you seen the meme that compares Diva yes. in the pink to, I almost sent it to you, to Umbridge? It's so spot on. Because it's true. This is what happens when non-educators in politics get involved in education because you don't know what you're doing. That's Umbridge. She does it She's involved for the wrong reasons. Regardless of that, she could have come in and actually been able to teach. If she weren't such a hateful bitch. Yeah, well, even, I mean, Snape is not a terrible, I mean, he's a terrible human being, but he's not a terrible teacher and he's kind of a hateful bitch. But <laughs> I'm just saying, but I don't think, Umbridge is the person we were talking about who thinks it's going to come in and I'm just going to tell them to do this and they're going to do this and that's the way it is. She's babysitting. Umbridge thinks she's McGonagall. Yes. Oh. Without being remotely close to her. She thinks she can go in and command a room and then throws a hissy fit when it doesn't work. And doesn't know why it doesn't work. And doesn't know why it doesn't work. Because for her, 
Her act is fake. She must have order. Mm-hmm. But even like, think about the beginning of school feast where she get up and she's like, boys and girls, I know we're going to be good the friends. best of friends. And you're like, <laughs> oh, read the room, lady. Like, you're talking to teenagers. They don't care. Yeah. Basically, every single quality that we've said the good teachers had, she thinks she has and doesn't. Yes, I agree. She literally thought she was the shit. She and thought she, that her shit smelled like roses. And she's racist. Totally. Like. And classist. Uh-huh. And like, I mean, she's just all of the ists. Right? Like she'd be the teacher who come in to try and save all those poor kids. And then that whole power trip that she oh. had too. Good leadership is about helping teachers develop, not about cutting them down. Right. I, anyway. I aspire to be the exact opposite of Dolores Umbridge, and I feel like... That's why I won't wear pink. I don't wear pink either, but probably... And I actually hate the fact that she's obsessed with cats, since I'm such a cat person. Yeah. I'm like, why do you have to do that? Why cats? (laughs) She's ruined, like... Like, and all the doilies everywhere, which reminds me of my great aunt, Sini, which I love my great aunt, Sini, and now, like, there will be no doilies. There's no lace. Okay, okay. We can't move on from this until we mention the fact that as a punishment, she had kids carve into their own hand. Yeah, yeah, that's... If teachers are no longer allowed to even hug kids because we can't put a hand on them, what in the world was that? Even corporal punishment wasn't that bad in schools. No. You know what I mean? I I can't. And I know a lot of people get down on Dumbledore because he didn't do anything about it. Like, you know he knew what was going on. But I feel like he just had such a bigger battle to fight. And I feel like that's something that I see administrators run into a lot is they have this stuff coming down on them from higher up and they're trying to cope with it and it's unfortunate when it's not properly communicated from the administrators to the teacher like hey this is what we're dealing with this is why this has to be like that Mm -hmm. what ideas do you have to make this better right or i know you're feeling this but here's all the reasons why it's not being taken care of in the way you want I tend to do that a lot in my job because I have this weird buffer job of I'm not an administrator. But you're not a teacher. I'm not a classroom teacher. Right. And I work. Yeah, I mean, obviously you're a teacher, but. Right. Well, and I, but I'm on teacher contract. Yeah. Like, so I'm still considered a teacher, but I sit in on admin meetings and I meet with the principals and I have, I work for the CNI department at central office. So I have this really good in between. I tend to think of myself as like the admin whisperer for teachers. <laughs> And this is a new role. We've only had this in my district for two years. It has like changed the dynamic of some of the teachers because they're getting to hear, okay, but this is like, I can say, I know you feel this way. You're right. I I would feel that way too. Here's the why that they're not even thinking about telling you because they're so far removed from the classroom. Right. And that why can go a long way. Yep. It can go a long way. And I think if Dumbledore had any real faults, it was communication. Yes. I do also think, though, in book five in particular, Dumbledore made the choice to involve the government in his school. I think when Dumbledore made the choice to intervene, he knew that the government was going to show up. Yeah. And that was his consequence. Yeah. That was like Umbridge is Dumbledore's consequence for intervening on Harry's behalf. Yeah, I agree. Which was necessary, but... It was definitely a price that he had to pay and that his students had to pay. 
but it had to happen. Yeah, which is a shame. Yep. But it gave us someone to really hate. Who's not even the bad guy? Like the real big baddie bad guy, which is funny. Too. The thing is, the reason why it's so easy to hate Umbridge is because everybody knows somebody like her. She is far more real and relatable yes. than Voldemort. Yes, because her motivations are real people's motivations. Right. She's power hungry. Yep. And selfish and doesn't look at the bigger picture. Yeah. Whew. Not okay. to mention super traumatized. Like she had a pretty awful upbringing. And just, it's real. There was a lot of depth to her. Which, I mean, that's that, you know, people who experience trauma tend to then put it on to future generations because of the school. Speaking of trauma and putting it on to future generations, let's move on to Severus Snape. Okay. I'm happy he finally got a chance to teach the subject that he likes. I don't know if, and I will be honest, it's been a while since I've read book six. I'm in the middle of book five right now. I don't know if he's as good at it as he is at potions, given what we know about him from his old textbooks. He definitely had the intuitive ability to create potions. Yes. But I think he actually grasped more ability to teach and explain Defense Against the Dark Arts. Because even Hermione said that Snape reminded her of Harry when Harry was teaching it. Yeah. Like, he had the experience and he had the understanding of it. Because he's lived it. And with potions, it was this intuitive thing that he just understood and could do. And I don't know how he knew how to pass that along. Whereas with defense, like, he's had to learn it. Therefore, yes. because he's had to learn it, he can teach you how to learn it, too. As opposed mm -hmm. to, just, I know this, so you should know this. Right. I know. And I think it's a lot harder to teach something that you just can do yes. without any struggles. Yes. And I, that's totally what he was with potions. I don't like my whole thing with Snape because I actually I don't think he's a terrible person. I think he was a terrible person. I think he still did all like I think he had no business being a teacher. Mm -hmm. I don't think he had the right temperament for it at all. Maybe he could teach at a college level. Maybe. Maybe. I also think the whole I'm in love with this dead woman and like that I think it's creepy. Side note, I think it's creepy. I don't think of it as a romantic love. Hmm. I literally think that the fandom has taken this whole idea of he loved Lily as a romantic thing. And and I'm I think that it could have become that right. had he not chosen to become a Death Eater. But he literally grew up in an abusive household, mm -hmm. had no real friends. And just happened to live near another magical child that he befriended. And she was the first person that was ever kind to him and accepting of him. Of course he loved her. Yeah. He considered them best friends. And they, like That was what that memory showed us. Yeah. They were best friends. And yeah, that maybe could have developed into more. But it always struck me that his jealousy of James's interest in her had more to do with the fact that it was James than it was a romantic interest. Because he, like, he just hated James so much. Hmm. But like a lot of times I notice people in the fandom want to say that Lily chose James over Snape, but that's not how it happened. They stopped being friends right. two years before she ever started dating James. Right. 
Because of his choices. He made his choices. It wrecked their friendship. Right. All right. That makes me feel a little better. So I don't think it ever reached a romantic point. I think he screwed up his friendship with his best friend and then made more terrible choices that ended up getting her killed. Which all his other friends were bad guys too. So he can't right. be friends with them. But I think that his obsession was by that point completely understandable because how would you ever get over causing the death of your once best friend? True. I think everything he did was out of guilt. I also, I have this whole theory about how we only ever see him be horrible to Harry, Neville, and Hermione. Mm -hmm. And with Harry, there's the obvious one of he looks exactly like his father. He hated his father. But then there's also the fact that if it hadn't been for Harry, Voldemort would have never gone after Lily. Right. Like, why couldn't he have picked her? Which then, again, goes back to him. That was his fault. That was Snape's fault. So, yeah, he hates Harry, but he hates himself just as much. And he's putting that on Harry. Right. With Neville, Neville could have been the chosen one. And Snape knew that. Right. So in his mind, if if Voldemort had gone after Neville, Lily wouldn't have been killed. So he blames Neville. So he takes that out on Neville. Okay. With Hermione, she was a muggle-born brightest witch of her age, just like Lily. And I think in a lot of ways, Hermione reminded okay. him of Lily. And then she becomes best friends with Harry. And it's like watching Lily be with James all over again. And I think that he just couldn't, he did not have the mental stability to cope with that. And that to me says that he's just, if he doesn't have that mental capability, he should not be yeah. teaching. Like he, he needed a lot of therapy and he needed a different career. <laughs> yes. But that doesn't make him a bad person. Okay. Like he definitely was a bad person as a teenager, as a young adult. Right. But the second that he realized he put his best friend, his once best friend in danger, he tried to save her life and he did it in a terrible way because he right. was willing to let Harry and James die if Lily was protected. But he also didn't trust that was going to happen. So he put his selfishness aside to go to Dumbledore. Like, the, I don't think that, I don't think that he was always selfish. I also don't think that he was completely selfless. And I think that he still made a bunch of mistakes, but he was this traumatized jackass yeah. who didn't know how to socialize or do anything. Because he had no model. And then found himself in a situation where he had to face his guilt every single day. Like, I totally get why he treated Harry and Neville and Hermione the way that he did, which doesn't make it okay. Right, because he shouldn't have been there. Like, that's the moment that, like, no, dude needs to just go on sabbatical while Harry's at Hogwarts. And I know that Dumbledore needed to keep him there. Right. But, like, that sucks for Snape. I actually have a lot of pity for him. And I think it's amazing that Harry was able to learn all of that and forgive him in the right. end. But I think that says more about Harry than it does about yes. Snape. And I think that's why end of series Harry is amazing. Yes. For just those kinds of reasons. I mean, there's a lot of amazing things about Harry throughout yes. the series as well. Yes. But Book five is my favorite because he's angsty Harry. Angsty Harry is my favorite. But yeah, I like Snape with therapy maybe could have been a good teacher. Yeah. Because and I actually, I honestly think that he was a phenomenal headmaster. If he didn't have the caros there, because I think that Which he, a lot of it. He had no him. choice for I know. that. But he did protect the kids to the best of his ability. He did. You had the Caros having 
the kids in detention get the Cruciatus curse practice on and them. kids practicing it on each other. Yeah, and when Luna, Neville, and Ginny tried to steal the sword from his office, he sent them to detention with Hagrid. Like that was protecting them, right? I 100% think that once he was removed from interacting directly with children on a daily basis, <laughs> he was actually finally able to be a more caring person. Well, it helped that Harry wasn't there. Yes, that helps too. Mm-hmm. We could see him being more human or more yeah. empathetic because I think he has it. I hate that yes. he hid it. That he always, did. That bothers me because I feel like it yeah the memories were specifically showing us that he hid it yeah that empathy that he had and the love that he had for lily and even the fact that on some very small level he cared about harry and i know it was still all about lily but but again if he had had he was upset Mm -hmm. that harry had to sacrifice himself yeah but i feel like if he had had the therapy he could have used that same directed emotion of empathy towards the students he was responsible for. And yes, in the mm-hmm. long run, it ended up helping out Harry, but at what cost? Right. So. Now, he was absolutely a gray character. He was so yes. flawed. One of the reasons why. Yeah. And he was so capable, mm-hmm. but he had no business being a nope, teacher. Not at all. But he wasn't the worst. We had Dolores on the He was not the worst. And? He was not the worst because the next one, yes. Amicus Caro. Well, this also became dark arts and not defense against the dark arts because we already mentioned that he was having the kids practice the unforgivable curses minus right. Avada Kedavra. Obviously, you can only practice that one once. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're really bad at it. <laughs> Keep missing. <laughs> Terrible teacher. I understand that. I'm not exactly opposed to teaching the kids the actual dark arts. Which sounds a little backwards, I know. Particularly if it was like sixth and seventh year. Well, you could think of it like abstinence-only teaching. Yes. I'm going to teach you everything. Because it's better that you know it and hear it from a trusted adult with experience and science. And, I mean, you don't necessarily have to learn how to do the Cruciatus Curse. But, like, what Moody was doing and actually like demonstrating it to them and stuff, teaching them about it. It prepared them for it much better. I do. I wouldn't be opposed to it. I don't think first and second and third years needed it necessarily. No. Because they need the fundamentals. Not that our kids got fundamentals because the teachers kept changing, but... Right. They need the fundamentals and they need the maturity level. Yes. So I'm not against it the theory of it or the how to spot it or like maybe they should be teaching what a horcrux is maybe they should maybe they should be teaching i'm sure there's more to it that we didn't even see you know not beyond just the unforgivable right i don't know i'm not opposed to it i just think obviously that person should not be with children yeah no that person was crazy yeah his sister was crazy crazy very crazy like if if snape is the same death eater at Hogwarts like he's he's bad enough right like he's not great with kids let him be the worst right that's the necessary evil right because at least he knows the content oh okay yeah he was at least a capable defense against the dark arts expert right and potions master right 
Whereas the Karos, both of them, were just, like, incapable and ineffective and awful. And I also think a lot like Dolores Umbridge, power hungry, right? I can exert my power over these children. Exactly. The Karos struck me as low on the totem pole mm-hmm. in the Death Eaters order. Mm-hmm. Because we never even, they weren't even mentioned no. until well after the fact. So these are these are people that he basically found expendable mm-hmm. and to they, send him to the school. Do you think they asked or do you think Voldemort sent them? Oh, I think he sent them. Because I could almost see them asking, we'll go, how about we go? How about we go? How, because let's make a name for ourselves. Oh, that could be a, they were probably Slytherin, so that could be an ambitious right? thing. Or... The other way, I want to avoid some of this, like, getting picked on by him all the time and having to sit in these meetings. And, like, I know I can go be evil to these kids and nobody will do anything to me. Yeah. It's safer to go to Hogwarts. Yeah. And that's a, a good lot point. of small children. So we don't know enough about them to be able to say one way or the other. But all we really know is that they suck. Yes, this is true. They do. They're all, They're horrible human beings. And every single year... I think that some of the teachers, like Lupin, left notes about mm-hmm. what he had taught. Um, Mad-Eye commented on that because he was saying, well, Barty Crouch as Mad-Eye right. commented on how he, they really covered a lot of dark creatures, mm-hmm. but they were behind on dark curses. But even at that, like Lupin left behind notes, but he wouldn't have had information for what they did in their second and first years. And I seriously doubt that fake Moody left behind any kind of notes for Umbridge. She seemed to have some information because she was going through things. So she seemed to have some, but that could have been what she got from Dumbledore. Or maybe they were required to send things into the ministry and that's where she got it. Had they taken exams? Because the teachers can set their exams except for like state testing years. There were final exams every year. Yeah. And yes, they had. They had even taken the exams in book four because Harry was sitting out of them and spent the day hanging out with Molly Bill. Hermione had made the comment that the only year they had, and they didn't have exams at all during second year. Right. And they had Quirrell, who wasn't exactly competent the first year. Right. And then, so come fifth year... Hermione made the comment that the only time they all sat the Defense Against the Dark Arts exam, Harry beat her in it. And that was year three. Yeah, and that was year three with Lupin. Mm-hmm. He was the best So Defense Against the Dark Arts. The so best. there had to have been, I imagine that the exam results showed a lot of that stuff and showed what they covered that way. Yeah. And those probably did go to the ministry. Possibly, or reported on report cards because they would get their grades. Yeah, something like right. that. So. I'll go with that. Okay. I feel like we covered it really well. My only other thought that I wanted to bring up with these core subjects is just the scheduling of it. I'm concerned by the number of classes each teacher has to teach in the course of a week. Well, if they have seven core subjects and then first years also have to take flying lessons with Madam Hooch, that's eight classes. And I don't know, maybe flying lessons are only like a couple of weeks and it's not the full well, year. Maybe you test out of it because I don't think Harry ever does yeah. that, right? Right. But, and then by the time you get to your third year, you have to take at least two more classes. 
that's nine classes for a kid in a week. I'm more concerned right? about Professor McGonagall. She so McGonagall's teaching seven preps, seven classes a day. No, they don't have the classes every day though, right? But in the course of a school day, the most I ever see them go to is four, maybe five if it's like the double potions could count. So the most full day we ever see is the Mondays of year five, where they go to history of magic, double potions, Umbridge's class and divination. They do all of those on Monday. And potions is a double. So let's say that's five, whatever, right? In the course of a week, that's 20 possible time slots for a teacher to teach. Okay. McGonagall teaches seven courses that meet more than once a week. Yeah. I kind of want to try and make a Hogwarts schedule to see how everything fits in. You did? It was really bad because then on top of that – Let's say she teaches first years three times a week and second years three times a week and third years twice a week. And then by fifth or sixth year, it's once a week. And then we, fine. Except she only teaches Gryffindors. Like Harry's class, it's only Gryffindors. It's not all four classes together. Right. Because then you'd end up with like 40 kids in each class. Right. And sometimes or 45 kids. it's Gryffindor and Slytherin together. And sometimes it's Gryffindor and Hufflepuff together. Gryffindor is never with Ravenclaw, who we just, in my podcast, we assumed that they were always in the honors classes. So that's why they weren't <laughs> with anybody else. It is physically impossible for the teachers to teach that many different sections with that many preps in the course of a week. And that's just McGonagall. Throwing yeah. all the other ones. So I, it just goes back to, I'm sure this, this was not written by somebody with a structure like systems brain, like mine is. Right. So... I also don't think she has any experience in a classroom. I'm not. No. Although she did a great job showing a variety of teaching styles. Yeah. She really did. And and like quality teaching styles at that. Mm -hmm. It's the structure of how the school runs that I'm like. And if if that's the only thing I'm upset about. Yeah. We're doing pretty good. Right. But as a school, that would have been something to think about. Maybe there should be two people teaching trans, and, and maybe there is. Maybe there's like the gifted teacher who just teaches Ravenclaws all day, all the subjects, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. I mean, and they're all in a room together because they're those kids. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, and a lot of though, I would imagine as they get they get higher, like especially after fifth year, they probably can combine all four houses into one classroom. Especially in something as tr- as challenging as transfiguration, she probably doesn't have very big groups right. that are capable of continuing on at such an advanced level. And we see that in that might help Slughorn in sixth year. Right, it's just a few of them in there. So, all right, so that's all I had on like the core yeah. subjects. Well, we mentioned there being like elective classes after their second year; they get to pick at least two of these subjects. Unless they're Hermione and they actually initially pick all of them. So we start with arithmancy. It's the first one on here. And so that's a magical discipline that studies the magical properties of numbers, including predicting the future with numbers and numerology. Wizards and witches who study and practice arithmancy are called arithmancers. And it was taught by Professor Septima Vector. Professor Vector. I, re- I always It always makes me think of when... Hermione says that Professor Vector didn't give him any homework and Ron's just like, well, bully for Professor Vector. <laughs> yes. I think it's really interesting that arithmancy is something that Hermione loved 
And it does involve that practice of predicting the future. It does. But I don't think that's the only component to it. No, it's not. It's just funny that she's like completely against divination, but there's this element. Yeah. We obviously don't know a lot about this subject since we only think we know. Ron thinks it sounds awful. She says it's wonderful. Which means he probably would hate it. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, most he hates most classes. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Then there's also muggle studies, which aims to familiarize witches and wizards with how muggles live their lives without magic. It was taught by Professor Charity Burbage until the seventh book, which is when Electo Caro took over. And now it's actually pretty sad since they tried to say that she just resigned, but we actually know she was murdered. In front of a whole bunch of people. By a snake. Rough way to go. Well, she wasn't murdered by the snake, but she was fed to the snake. Then we have divination, which teaches the methods of divining the future or gathering insights into future events through various rituals and tools. It was taught by Professor Sybil Trelawney until Harry's fifth year. Then it was split between her and Ferenzi, the centaur. I love Sybil Trelawney, but not as a teacher. Exactly. You know who she reminds me of? She reminds me of the crazy music teacher or the crazy art teacher. Yeah. No offense. That I can I can say that about <laughs> myself. Like I'm not that uh-huh. crazy art teacher necessarily. I can be. It can be sometimes a role that I play if I'm having trouble really engaging right. with class. But when you do like the super over the top performance, and it's what that's why I immediately thought music teacher because that's more of a performance. Yes. Uh, since art is a little bit more visual, but or a drama teacher especially. You just have that big over-the-top performance to get their attention. And I think she's pretty good at getting their attention. Yes. Not so good at the I just teaching. No, she's not very good at the no. teaching part. And the fact that when she says to Hermione that she detects very little aura around her, I like, I'm like, no, teachers cannot say that to their students. Right. At least they shouldn't. No, they shouldn't. I think she... So... I feel sorry for Professor Jelani. She reminds me a lot of like the teachers who really want to do a good job, but don't really know how. Yes. Because her teaching style is very similar to Flitwick. I'm going to model for you. This is what we're doing. I'm going to let you go try it. And every once in a while, I'm going to stop you, check and see where you are. She goes from table to table. The pieces of the lesson are there. There's just something missing from it. That the kids, well, not all the kids, because Lavender and uh, Pavardi think she's fantastic. And maybe it's just that Ron and Harry have absolutely no respect for her. But she's not doing anything to gain no, it. she's not. I can see the components. I cannot put my finger on what exactly is missing for her. But something isn't clicking. I think she, she you know, how we were talking about how it was a performance I don't think she understands that it's a performance. I think she believes that she is genuinely that person. And as a result, she never connects with them. Yeah. And they see through the performance. Yeah. Because that's the other thing, right? Especially with older kids. They have to believe you because they can cut right through the bullshit. They know when you're lying. Right. So it's a lot easier for me to walk into a first grade room and tell a joke or try to pull a trick than it is for me to walk into a fourth or fifth grade room. Exactly sell it and she's not man imagine trying to do that with eighth graders (sighs) the highest i can go right now is sixth i could pull it off but sixth graders first half of the year are still fifth graders Mm -hmm. 
And then they come back from Christmas break and they are middle schoolers. Yeah. And they like lose their sweetness. And you're just like, oh no. Yeah. It's it's a different animal mm-hmm. to try and teach middle school. Mm-hmm. And that is where Hogwarts starts. Right. And then they get into high school. And yeah. It's almost worse. You know what? I bet you anything that Trelawney would have actually made a really good pre-K teacher. Oh, absolutely. She should be teaching kindergarten and first grade. Yeah, yeah. Probably no, she'd be great at that. Second grade. That might be a little no. difficult for her. But early childhood? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So then we also had the study of ancient runes, which is the study of runic scriptures or runology. It's mostly theoretical, and it studies the ancient runic scripts of magic. It was taught by Professor Bethsheeda Babbling, which is fun. I love the names. Yes. They all relate to the subject in some slight way. To me, this subject sounds a lot like learning Latin. Yeah. Right? Like, not only do you have to learn a new language, but it's a dead language that nobody actually speaks or uses anymore. That is the way I can like find my way into what are ancient rooms I know it's not exactly that but right I actually took Latin in high school and it it has made me pretty good at reading other romance languages Mm -hmm. I have a lot of Spanish speaking students and if they speak slow enough I can pick out a few words Mm -hmm. but not a lot see I took French and so it does me no good with my Hispanic population yeah well that's i wish i had taken spanish me too wish that i had (sighs) all right our last elective is care of magical creatures which is where students learn about the wide range of magical creatures they are taught about feeding maintaining breeding and proper treatment of the creatures professor sylvanus kettleburn originally taught the class but when the golden trio reached their third year he retired to spend time with his remaining limbs. Mm-hmm. And the gamekeeper, Rubius Hagrid, took over as teacher. It was also occasionally subbed for by Wilhelmina Grubbly Plank. And we know nothing about Kettleburn as a teacher because the care of magical creatures wasn't even on our radar before we were learning oh. that Hagrid took over. And that's another example right. of the whole curriculum thing because... Hagrid yeah. just kind of did what he wanted. Uh-huh. Grubbly Plank had a plan. Yeah. Which took the class for the long term in book five. She was like, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And then this is going to be next. Laid it out for Umbridge. And Umbridge was like, that sounds like a good plan. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it sounds plan. like you know what you're doing. Right. <laughs> okay, not Umbridge again. But yes, like she had a plan. And I think. To throw a friend's reference out there, I think Hagrid had a plus. <laughs> he had this idea, and anyway, it was the start of a plan, but it's Hagrid, so he doesn't really have a full plan. I have I have a 12% of a plan, so it's not enough. I've heard other people say that Hagrid was like a father figure to Harry, mm. and I disagree with that. I do too. Because I think he's far too irresponsible. I think that... Harry, Ron, and Hermione have had to help get him out of messes that he has caused yes. far too often yes. to be a father figure. So we like to call him the fun uncle. He's Funkle Hagrid. Yes, I can see that. And I think that kind of stretches on to his teaching as well. He 
picks things that he thinks they're going to find interesting and exciting and are definitely useful for them to learn. Right. None of it is bad. And he's so very knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. Again, he doesn't really have that ability to pass that information along to them very well. But even his first lesson with Buckbeak. Right. He did do a great demonstration. I think his real problem was he started off a really good teacher and then lost his confidence. He also had the benefit of having Harry, Ron, and Hermione in his class because they're going to do whatever he needs to make him feel better. I don't know what it's like in his other classes. There is that. Luna says, oh, we think of him as kind of a joke in Ravenclaw. That's true. So I think we see good things come out of Hagrid because he's got a good group. Now, he's got the Slytherins there, and they're not the best because Draco is, you know, he's not the worst. He gets better over time, but especially third year. He's, he's also a product of his environment. Absolutely. I think he's so. a good person who was raised poorly. That, that's my opinion of Draco. But when you have the Golden Trio in front of you who are really good friends with you. And a lot of the other classmates, aside from the Slytherins, did look up to them. Right. And there are only eight Gryffindors, theoretically. I think there was another girl that just never got mentioned, but... So maybe nine. Right. A third of that group is Harry, Ron, and Hermione. And you can really throw Neville right in with them, right? Like, pretty much Neville's kind of there. So if the four of them are doing it, everybody else is going to kind of follow along because none of them are jerks. They don't have any jerks in that group. So, okay, well, we'll all just kind of go and... Even if we're not, like, super into it, we'll still do it because it's the right thing to do because we're Gryffindors. Right. And then when Harry was successful, right, it set a good precedence. Right. And then Malfoy had to go and mess that up because he wasn't listening. No. It's really hard to feel bad for a kid when you give very specific instructions and then they go and do the exact opposite of what you said and then they get hurt. Uh-huh. I'm like... I mean, I'm going to make sure they're okay. Like, and that's exactly what Hagrid did. He got him to the hospital wing. But at the right. same time, like, there's the inner part of me. Katie always says, my co-host, she always says that she's got a toddler-age daughter. So she's getting to that age where she's getting into things. She was just like, don't do that. And if she keeps doing it, she said, okay, I've warned you. You're going to get hurt. And if you do, I'm allowed to laugh at you. <laughs> and that's, mm-hmm. that's what she always said. I'm like, let her know for me that that doesn't change. <laughs> This is exactly the conversation I wanted without knowing how I wanted it to go. I just, I knew like you get two Harry Potter experts and educators together. We were going to find stuff to talk about. I also think it's interesting. We have, for the most part, very similar teaching styles and ideas about like what good teaching, like from very different parts of the country and experiences in life. And yet good teaching is good teaching. Yeah. There are techniques that work. Yeah. Teaching so many different grades, I've probably tried them all and I'm always willing to learn and try new ones because what works for one is not going to work for the other. And what worked this year with that group may not work next year with the same group. Yeah, it's true. Or tomorrow. And I have a friend who teaches middle school and she says, a group of kids can sit in my room and do exactly what I want them to do. And when that same group of kids goes next door to the social studies teacher... They could be bouncing off the walls because the expectations in my room do not transfer to your room. 
Right. It depends on the adult sitting there with them. It also depends on the consistency. Yes. And, bringing it back to Harry Potter, McGonagall is consistent. Oh, Flip- extremely. Flipwick is consistent. For all his other faults about being a teacher, Snape is consistent. You know what to expect when you walk in his room. Yeah. He is capable of silencing a room. Like, I don't think he ever really raised his voice. Mm-mm. It's the snark level, right? That level of just, like, just cut you dead with a comment. Mm-hmm. It's so cold. He's like a sniper. Yeah. It's not a bad skill to use occasionally, but if that's the only thing you have... That is pretty much his entire arsenal. Right. It's not enough. I know a lot of people get caught up in the fact that he was Neville's greatest fear, but he was trying to be. Right. Like, he was bullying Neville, 100%. Yeah. And it's like you were saying, it's that lack of empathy. There's definitely still a lot of selfishness within him. Because he's emotionally stunted and didn't yeah. have, like, he hasn't fully matured through his emotional state no, yet. He needs no, therapy. He, he desperately needs therapy. Oh, I maintain that. I maintain I, that. I agree with you. Definitely needs yeah. therapy. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining yeah. me on this. I can't, I really hope that we get to do this as a panel. I know. And if anybody listening is planning on going to LeakyCon in Orlando next summer, it's actually over my birthday weekend, which I'm pretty excited about. Yay! So that's exciting. That's that's gonna be my birthday present to myself. Nice. But yeah, if anybody is going to be down there, make sure to look for us because we're gonna try and get this to happen. And if you are an educator slash Harry Potter fan, reach out. Yeah, absolutely. We would love to hear you at your opinions as well you guys i'm on facebook through just keep rolling you can find us on twitter and facebook and on instagram at not named podcast we also are on youtube at drawbridge media yeah so definitely check out her podcast if talking to her tonight has been any indication i have a feeling that it's got some (laughs) good listening so thank you This was really fun. I appreciate it. Thanks for including me. Yeah, awesome. So glad we got to do this. Yes. We will talk more later, I'm sure. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.